Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Archaeology Show, episode 242. On today's show, we talk about shoes, slaves, and trees. Let's dig a little deeper into that Viking cellular structure. No? Tree cellular structure? Trees, Vikings. Okay. I don't know. Not Columbus. (laughs) Hey everybody, this is Chris. And this is Rachel. And that's our new intro. (laughs) (laughs) We're trying something new. How do we like it? Yeah, because it just seemed a little, I don't know. Oh, are we leaving all this in? Oh, yeah, we're leaving all this in. Oh, great. Okay, fun. Yeah. We were just having a conversation how no other podcasts edit their show and they leave junk like this in. Yeah. But like, I can't do that. So you're probably going to end up cutting that? Oh, okay, sorry. Well, that's fine. I don't care if our little weird interactions are in there. Anyway, uh, for the next few episodes, you know, we usually talk about where we're at, what we're doing, because people want to know. Yeah. But we're like in Charlotte, North Carolina for the next like month and a half. We are. It's where I'm from. We're with my family. We're literally in my sister's basement right now. You're probably going to hear like the sound of stomping feet Mm, above us because, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. maybe not. But it's definitely very loud to us because, you know, we're in the basement, but we have the whole basement to ourselves. So it's kind of like having our own little apartment. It's kind of nice. I got to give a short plug for our Instagram too, our socials, only because... Not because I want you guys to all go follow us. I don't even care if you follow us, but yeah, I no. saw with my own two eyeballs today <laughs> the Tesla Cybertruck. And I know most people don't care, but I'm pretty excited. Like that literally has nothing to do with archaeology oh and definitely God. nothing to do with our show. Like it maybe does. on Archaeotech if you wanted to take it over there. It does. You know why? Because the first Cybertruck that accidentally gets buried will be there for 10,000 years. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were going to say the Cybertruck could be used for field work, which well, I suppose it could, right? It absolutely could be. Yeah. It's a steel side. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't even scratch. It is pretty crazy looking it looks like yeah, a transformer kind does. of like i feel like it should turn into something right. else <laughs> the one impractical well the many impractical things about it for field work would be first the tires yeah the tires look like they were specially made for that which means they're probably a thousand dollars a piece oh no way really that they, won't work the like detail on the sidewall i mean they're good tires yeah the yeah detail on the sidewall though like matches the hubcaps it was clearly this tire was made for this vehicle. oh man i wonder Not if that was for like, else on i wonder if it's for like a show model though oh, maybe, like if know. you could just put regular tires yeah. on it once you have it because you know we're popping tires all the time when we're out in the field also from just like a parts perspective it's got it's got a giant windshield that's slanted back it's probably it's the width of the vehicle so it's probably six feet wide Mm -hmm. by probably five feet tall and Mm -hmm. angles back and it's a huge piece that is seamless with the with the front oh there's no engine up there so it's like 
oh. just the front. Oh, when you sent that picture, I didn't quite know what I was yeah, seeing. Yeah, it's okay. one big yeah. windshield. And it, like it blends in. Mm. And there's one wiper that sits vertically on the driver's side, and it and it goes across the entire window. And the wiper is probably four feet tall. <laughs> and I'm like, I was talking to somebody there, and I'm like, yeah, this wiper probably costs $1,000, and you can only buy it at Tesla. <laughs> right. Like, when this probably. is at AutoZone, I'll buy this truck. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, yeah. speaking of archaeology. Yeah, so that had nothing to do with archaeology, but that's okay. Like, yeah. it's just what we're interested in right now, right? Yeah, you know what they wish they had in Austrian salt mines? Salt mines? Yes. Yes. Salt mines. Uh-huh. Was a Tesla truck, but they didn't. They had children. Okay. Yeah. Slaves, children. <laughs> Slave, if they, if they had children. cyber trucks, they wouldn't need children. Yeah. Okay. So this story, <laughs> we're going to move on from your <laughs> really, really bad transition. And this story is one that came out way back in September. And I just was super interested by it. We sort of like, when we find these really cool stories, we just sort of stick them in our back pocket mm-hmm. and we're ready to do a new story. We bring them back out again. So this is a little bit, I guess, outdated. Even I mean, two months, that's not too bad, right? Yeah. So the title is 2000 year old child's shoe found in Austrian mine and it came out in the Smithsonian magazine and it was really intriguing because the shoe is in fantastic condition. Like it's amazing. You definitely need to go look at the picture of it. The archaeologists that have that found the shoe say that it probably belonged to a young child and it was found in a salt mine in Austria. It's crazy. Anytime you see older shoes like this, shoe is kind of loosely defined. It's really just something that covered the foot. It's almost like a sock. It, you know what I it mean? It almost is. It's like this sort of cup shape that yeah. goes around the bottom of the foot. And then you can clearly see where it would have been laced closed yeah. at the top. Like the laces are very distinctive. Yeah. You know, they're very, they stand well, out. They're pieces of this one piece of hide, it looks like. Yeah. And they probably just, there was probably loops coming from the other side too. Yeah. And they probably strung that together somehow. But my point is, it doesn't have like a like a sole like you would think of as a shoe. I don't know when shoes started having soles, like sandals. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't really have anything like that. And it's just... Uh, like a hide covering. Now it probably would have been extremely protective on your feet, but you know, it didn't provide any support or no, anything like that when you think not. of a shoe. It would have been great yeah. for cold and I'm sure. yeah, and just yeah. for like surface level protection, but not really yeah, support. Keeping like pokies off your yeah. feet. But one of the reasons why this is preserved so well is because it was found in a salt mine and apparently salt preserves things super well, which of course makes sense, right? Yeah. And salt prevents the growth of bacteria and other microorganisms, which effectively preserves the organic materials. So that's why it is so well preserved. Yeah. And the salt mine itself is, as it said in the title, 2000 years old, and it's located in the Austrian village of Dürnberg. (laughs) That's just south of Salzburg, which you may have heard of, Mm -hmm. uh, close to the southwestern border with Germany. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Researchers were excavating an area of the site that is known as the Georgenberg Tunnel? Would you say Georgenburg? Georgenburg, I would Georgenburg? say. Given German, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's like, it looks like George and Berg. <laughs> I, I can't imagine it's pronounced that way, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The shoe is an American child's size 12 or a European child's size 30. Which, what the hell is an American child? When do child sizes go to adult sizes? Like, I don't even wear a 12 in adult sizes, but it's a child size 12. Whereas the European size is probably <laughs> in, what, is it millimeters? I'm not entirely sure, but I can tell you that American kids sizing is the most confusing thing ever. <laughs> like, 12 
It's like it goes up to 12 mm-hmm. or 13, and then I think it starts over at like one again, maybe, but I could be completely wrong an adult about one. that. No, not an adult, but like like older kids. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's the craziest yeah, sizing for sure. Yeah. Like my niece, who is five, is in a size 12, I think, actually. Right. She wears a 12. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, the shoe, of course, is made of leather. Like we said, that's why it's so well-preserved. And there's also, interestingly, you can see this in the photo, there's a small piece of like a flax cord kind of that is still attached at the top of the shoe. And it might have been used as a shoelace or something to kind of tie the pieces together. I don't know if shoelace is quite Mm. the right word. It looks kind of small in the picture, but it might be broken too. It's kind of hard to say, but definitely something to hold the pieces of the shoe together. Yeah. And this isn't the first shoe they found, but the others they have found were adult sized. Mm -hmm. So it's the first kind of child shoe. Yeah. Which I don't know. It sounds like a bigger child shoe. It is. So like, well, yeah, but like my niece is five, right? And this is her size. So younger. Yeah. But this is an underground mine, right? So Mm -hmm. As we mentioned, it's a salt mine. So you kind of have to be like, why would there be a child's shoe there unless they were performing some kind of labor? Right. Mm hmm. And and that doesn't necessarily mean that they were, I don't know, some kind of slave or anything like that or, you know, child's labor, you know, the weird labor laws or something. I mean, just people 2000 years ago, there was little division between all that stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. People just uh, maybe the kid was helping out. Maybe it was take your kid to work day. Who knows? Right. That's true, but you're not going to find traces of a kid going to a mine once. But if there are children present there consistently, mm-hmm. that's when you're going to start seeing their presence there, you know? Right. So obviously there's a consistent presence of children in this mine, which is why you find something but like a shoe. That's kind of what I'm saying. Like how far away could they possibly have lived? You know what I mean? Like with transportation and all that stuff, maybe kids just meandered there between there and the village, you know? They, I mean, it's an underground one. mine, though. Like, that seems well, pretty likely that a kid is going to wander into an underground they mine. They have OSHA. Unless, unless they were taken there. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> and if they're taken there, why would you why would you take a child there? Oh, yeah. it's to perform a job of some sort. Maybe. Now, I'm not saying, and the researchers aren't saying that that job was necessarily like, you know, having a pickaxe and like actually <laughs> pounding into the wall or anything, but they could have been yeah. shoveling discarded rocks, maybe, you know, carrying buckets of mined material to the surface, maybe even just bringing like lunch down to the workers or something, you yeah. know, it could have been very small, like simple work, but it does seem like they were somehow, you know, assisting in the mining. Yeah. I guess there could have been small spaces that, uh, only kids could fit in. It's possible. It's like the, uh, what was it? Star cave. I think it was called in, oh, oh, um, down in Africa, South Africa, the sh- was star, not star, it was oh, something star. where they right? found the boat, the homo, the new homo yeah, species. But it yeah. was like a whole bunch of small female, mm-hmm. uh, like, uh, uh, paleoanthropologists, basically yeah. spelunking paleoanthropologists, cave divers. Grad students, yeah. Yeah. That, that they were able to fit in these tiny mm-hmm. spaces, highly trained yeah. and, and perfect people for the job, but they had the body size that mm-hmm. allowed them to go in there because we can't, you know, send kids in like there Like you literally couldn't study there yeah. if you weren't small enough to fit rising through. Star. Yeah. It was rising, the star, rising cave. star in Johannesburg or something, right? In South it Africa. It was South Africa. I yeah. don't know where though. Anyway, so yeah, yeah, it's possible that there are small spaces that they just needed kids to get into and they didn't really have the whole child labor thing (laughs) 
to consider. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Based on the design, since they do have other shoes there, uh, this is how we know it was about 2000 years old because they said about second century BCE mm -hmm. uh, based on that. So that's called seriation when you use the shape and morphology and technology mm -hmm. of something to kind of size grade it through time. Yeah. Because this site itself, this mine was used by various groups over the years, beginning around 800 BCE. So when they find an artifact like this, they have to kind mm -hmm. of use what it looks like to figure out which time period it comes from. Yeah. Yeah, the salt, because of its preserving type nature, preserved lots of uh, organic artifacts, yeah. including parts of a wooden shovel, a piece of fur with lace that may have been from like a fur hood or something like that, mm. uh, and what other textiles and stuff. Yeah. And organic remains are super rare, right? It's, it's usually the missing majority. You don't usually have that kind of stuff. So on a site like this, where we have this kind of preservation, it just gives us insight into these, the lives of these people and apparently ancient child labor, maybe mm -hmm. that we, <laughs> that we wouldn't normally get. So yeah. that is what makes this super interesting and different from other sites and other shoes. Cause shoes are, you know, they're not super uncommon to find, but the type of shoe, the well-preservedness of it and the fact that it was a child shoe in a mine right. makes it really different and interesting. Right. All right. Well, we're going to go from child's labor to something much worse because apart from the aqueducts, the roads <laughs> and sanitation, what did the British give us? <laughs> Slavery. Back in a minute. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Welcome back to the Archaeology Show, episode 242. And we are now in West Africa, in Ghana to be specific. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about the roots of Britain's slave trade. And they kind of, I mean, I'm not going to say they kicked it off for the whole world, but kind of for the Western world a little bit. Yeah, and yeah. sort of the more modern world too, right? Like yeah. this this sort of most recent in, incarnation of slavery. Slavery right. has happened everywhere around the world yeah. for ages, right? So That's right. Yeah. So... What was found, basically, um, was the remains of a 17th century fort, so 1600s, mm -hmm. built when England was moving basically from gold to humans in this area. Oh, yeah. okay. So they, <laughs> they had played out the gold situation and realized well, that the human trade could pick up the uh, slack there, I guess. Apparently, yeah. yeah. So the ruins here, however, it's interesting because... They didn't know that this this fort was here. We'll talk about why in a little bit. But in this town, which is called Abanzi, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. Abanzi, but, um, yeah. Yeah, it was born out of an old Dutch slave fort. That's why the town is there. So the Dutch were there first. They had a, a slave fort there. Or no, the Dutch weren't there first. I'm sorry, the English were there first. The Dutch were there later. So I'm getting a timeline confused. But this fort, this Dutch fort that's there now, uh, sits on top of a steep hill uh, above the town and over the Atlantic. So mm -hmm. it's just kind of up there. And the ruins of it are 
a reminder and a link to the slave trade for the local people because it's part of their it's part of their identity and yeah. also children use it as a playground and fishermen use it as a guide to find the town again when they're out in the water oh, because wow. it's up on this huge hill and it's very imposing. So yeah. it's been with them for hundreds of years. Everybody here, you know, grew up with it. Their they know ancestors what it grew is. They it. know what happened there. They know why yeah. it's there, right? Now, mm-hmm. It doesn't say what was here before the Dutch put a fort here. Yeah. Yeah. If they just decided this was a great hill and they started bringing people here and then when they kind of abandoned all that, the, the people that were left, I guess, just, you know, mm-hmm. stayed and made a town. So beneath the fort, archaeologists have been working, right? Mm -hmm. And they found a series of thick stone walls, and they think that these walls are the remnants of the first known English structure in Africa. All of Africa. Yeah, the very first one. So this is where we're going back to the roots of slavery situation. Yeah, Yeah, they think the structure is called Fort Cormantine and sits under what is now Fort Amsterdam. That's the Dutch fort. Yeah. So the Dutch fort is Fort Amsterdam. Underneath it, Fort Cormantine. So was it like like the British fort was ruined and they yeah. built on top of it? Okay. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Filled in. Yeah. You know, they yeah. knocked down most of it, filled it in. Now there's walls left. Okay. Uh, and not a whole lot else. There's some artifacts. We'll yeah. talk about that. And they, they knew this was there probably or somewhere uh, because of old maps referring to a Fort Cormantine in the area. They just didn't know and really didn't have access to know whether or not it was actually underneath this existing fort mm. where they could, you know, start digging into oh, it. Oh, yeah. In the exact same spot, right? Yeah. yeah. And there's another version of the name too, which didn't help trying to find it on historical references called a Cormantee. Fort Cormantine is spelled with a K. Cor- Coromantee, not Cormantee. Mm-hmm. Coromantee uh, is spelled with a C, apparently. Um, and that was actually the name given to some of the enslaved people in the Caribbean that were thought to have been transported from this location in Ghana. Oh, okay. So yeah, if you look at records from the Caribbean, you see the Cormantee people. Right, right. Yeah, they're thought to have come from here. Okay, Which got completely it. strips them of their own identity by giving them this, you the know. The name of an English fort? Right. <laughs> it's yeah. not even like the name of the place yeah. that they were from right <laughs> so there are f- slave forts dotted along what was the gold coast yep in west africa and fort cormantine was built in 1631 it began life as a trading post for gold and ivory among other items yeah and it wasn't until 1663 that the slave trade began when king charles ii granted a charter to the Company of Royal Adventurers of England (laughs) trading in Africa. That's the whole name. Wow. Okay, let's try that one more time. A charter to the the Company of Royal Adventurers of England trading into Africa. It sounds fun. It, I mean, it does. They make it sound <laughs> the like, it like we're just going to go like find some yeah. cool stuff in Africa and we'll trade stuff to you and you trade your cool right. stuff to us and like it's going to be great. But it turns out that cool stuff was... People. people started out gold though well yeah things, i then, think they were probably just taking the gold rather than trading for well, it but i mean they were taking the gold from the africans <laughs> and then trading it to other white people <laughs> right. yeah so right right yeah, it was yeah. later, <laughs> the it was later tra- shortened to the royal african company by the way oh that is yeah. so crazy when you think about it like they were literally just like showing up and taking stuff yeah. and like going and trading it elsewhere and that was the trading piece of it right yeah yeah and yeah, colonization. King, I know, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, King Charles gave the company exclusive rights to the slave trade in Africa, which was his pretty to, crazy. His to give, well, apparently. Uh, apparently, yeah. <laughs> right. For people that paid attention to the exclusive rights given by King Charles. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sure. It only lasted for about two years after that, though. Then the Dutch seized the fort. We're like, that looks like a great idea. Let's take it. Okay. And uh, they basically raised it a little bit. And. Um, built Fort Amsterdam on the same site, um, explaining why Fort Cormantine had never really been found because mm-hmm. it, it only existed for 
30 some odd years. Yeah, that's not a lot to, that's not a lot to find basically. Right. Yeah. They uncovered a six meter long wall, so it's not a small fort, um, a doorpost, foundations, and a drainage system made of red brick. Also, lots of assorted artifacts. Mm -hmm. And all of that indicated an English presence before the Dutch fort. So it's not like they have something written down or even something that says this is Fort Cormantine. Mm -hmm. It just looks distinctly not Dutch. Yeah. And the only thing we knew that was before that, that was you know, Western world related, uh, not West Ghana, but the other Western world Mm -hmm. was uh, English. English. Right. Yeah. Some artifacts distinctive of the time were a rusty gun flint used in England during the 17th century and pipes with small bowls for tobacco. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently they were very distinctive, these pipes with their little tobacco bowls. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Distinctively English, I should say. I wonder if it was like the like white kaolin pipes or whatever that you that you find? Well, Kaelin, I mean, style maybe, but Kaelin yeah. is a very specific type of clay. It is. I yeah. know. That's the only one I can really think yeah. of from so, from back then. But yeah. yeah. Anyway, the article states that the real work has just begun. They're just getting in there. Um, the team will spend the next three years trying to figure out the fort, its architecture, look and feel, which they should they say should reveal its true significance, which is kind of a... I kind of had a problem with that a little bit, um, the whole true significance thing. Yeah. I understand that more excavation should, you know reveal some other information about it, like mm-hmm. the people that live there, but, you know, revealing the true significance of the fort, I think we got a pretty decent handle on that. I mean, you're trying to prove it, but, yeah, you know, it wasn't just slavery. It was, you know, the other things that they did, but I guess they could find out, you know, maybe they tried doing some governance there and maybe there's some, you know, there wouldn't be any documents really, I would right. imagine. But Well, I, I wonder if they are trying to look for historical, actual historical historical records and accounts from people that might have been there mm-hmm. to sort of match up with what they're finding on the ground, you know? Yeah. Because the archaeology is only going to go so far. It's going to give you the outlines of the building and maybe the types of artifacts that were there. But it sounds like they already have done a lot of that. So to really find out the true significance, as they call it, they need to know, they need they need records from the ships that right. were taking people and dropping them off. And they there's there's got to be other, like, first... I always forget the word. There's got to be other other documents and things from that time period that they mm. can use to reference and figure out what yeah. was actually going like on here. Resources. Yeah, there's got to yeah. be others for sure. Yep. All right. Well, I guess we'll keep an eye on this space and uh, see what they come up with because it sounds pretty interesting. And especially being like the first English structure in Africa, that sounds shockingly late in time. Yeah. You know, and I mean, 1600s. It, there's got to be more significance too, because slavery becomes became such a big trade. Yeah. Like, did this really set off the slave trade for the entire country of Africa? Because if this one was first and they were oh. they were trading slaves there. Maybe West Africa. Oh, West Africa, sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure... I don't have time frames on this, but yeah. I'm pretty sure like not only like India, Indonesia and and the Asian countries were taking slaves from East Africa for oh, a while sure. too. Oh sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So So this would be the British and other European mm-hmm. sailors and people taking slaves from West yeah. Africa over to the Americas. Right. So this is kind of the roots of that. So if it really set the stage and they figured out that it was a big trade mm-hmm. that was kind of almost like low risk for high profit, yeah. you know? then it is such a significant place that does need to be explored more to kind of figure out how it influenced the rest of the country and the rest of what happened too. So yeah, for sure. All right. Well, again, we'll look for more info coming out of that space. But in the meantime, we're going to go to segment three and... 
Talk about more roots? Uh, I don't know what to tell you, but I have some shocking news. <laughs> Columbus didn't discover America. What? Back in a minute. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to the Archaeology Show, episode 242. And we're talking about, well, if it's pre-Columbian and it's white, <laughs> it has to be Vikings. Well, European, but yeah. It has to be Vikings. It does. There were no other Europeans here. They're Scandinavians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this is actually super cool. Mm-hmm. And first off, Columbus was lost. He thought he was looking for India. Yeah. We need yeah. to like let go of the <laughs> Columbus reverence, right? Yeah. Like he just wasn't as great as right. we wanted to believe. Yeah. And yeah. this isn't the first bit of evidence we've had that Vikings actually discovered America first. It's just really hard for people to, to really let that go. But the more evidence that builds, the more we can start ditching that narrative and coming up with, you know, really preaching the new one. Yeah. I mean, they have found uh, evidence of, I think, structures or something like that yeah. up in uh, Newfoundland Yeah, or something. That, like, look Viking, right? So... That, that definitely didn't look Native American. Yes. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway... This one is pretty cool because the evidence actually doesn't even come from North America. Not directly. Right. Yeah, I mean, it does, but... It, uh, originally it did. Right, but, <laughs> they, but they weren't digging there. So what do we yeah. mean by that? So it comes from Greenland. And it seems, according to this evidence, that not only did they make it to the Americas before really anybody else did from the Western world, mm-hmm. or even the Asian world for that matter, as far as we know, that uh, they were doing it lots and lots and lots of times over the course of hundreds of years. They just never stayed, yeah. apparently. So, And I was like, why why did they not set up camp in North yeah. America? And you and I were kind of talking about that. Yeah. And it's like, well, that wasn't really like the thing that the Vikings did. Yeah. You know, they were, they were pillagers. They were stop by, take what they needed and then go back home. <laughs> they weren't colonizers, you right. know? So that part came later with Columbus and the other explorers that came after him. But these people in this time were just looking for resources. Yeah. They weren't yeah. even necessarily looking to hurt people. Like they just needed yeah. resources, right? Yeah. They needed wood for their ships, for villages, things like that, because yeah. they had pretty well inhabited the southern tip of Greenland there yeah. and, and up the coast there a little bit. And um, and there's still settlements on the uh, on the western side of Greenland and the southern side of Greenland. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about the eastern side. It seems pretty desolate over there. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, definitely on the western side. And... The proof that we found here is in the trees. Yeah. Um, not only ex- some existing tree species that are there because they've been like transplanted, but also timber that has been found uh, mm-hmm. that we know the dates of, right? Because of other means, probably, probably carbon dating and probably a little bit uh, dendrochronology if they've got a mm-hmm. if they've got a chronology there for that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, what they found? Um, well, first off, the trees were imported. Um, to Greenland and because they were important in shipbuilding and large construction projects. I mean, everything was built out of wood. Everything. Yeah. Why there isn't a wood age, I couldn't tell you, but everything was built I out know, of wood. I know, right? Well, because wood <laughs> is all the ages all the time, right? Well, yeah, probably. And you don't always have a lot of it because it just depends on how well the right. preservation was and yeah, that kind yeah. of thing. But <laughs> don't need to be 
smarty pants about it. All right, so. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I know. Um, so some settlements even had access to timber imports from Northern Europe, uh, uh-huh. according to this. So Northern Europe and North America. Yeah. So I take it Greenland doesn't have a lot of natural wood, and that that's sounds, why they're bringing like that's no. the wood there, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a big iceberg. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess so. Yeah. yeah. So they had to bring their resources in, at least those kind. Right. Why would they stay there? Again, uh, the questions. I, I yeah. Just, Why they they went there, but they wouldn't stay in like Nova Scotia or yeah. You know, if they'd just gone a little further in, they'd have been like, this place is cool. <laughs> yeah, like there's actually yeah. a lot of great resources here, but also, you know what Greenland didn't have more than likely? Huh. Like hostile Native Americans. Well, true, <laughs> but there weren't so many Native Americans on the continent that they couldn't have like. I mean, I think there were probably quite probably a few about that back then. Paint. They could, but they probably could have figured out a way to live in the place together. But. Maybe, but we don't know how friendly and you know charming not only the vikings were i mean the vikings aren't known for that charming right and then the native americans who were you know just trying to protect their own territory against these marauding you know axe-wielding crazy people right you know i mean who knows yeah so i can't imagine it was a great relationship yeah i mean that's all conjecture it is completely conjecture because we have no idea what the relationship would have looked like but yeah now there's a lot in history that archaeologists rely on that goes into historical narratives, stories, passed down stories, sometimes mm-hmm. written down stories, things like that. Well, Viking legends themselves claim that there was a regular trading route between Greenland and North America 500 years before Columbus, which puts it around the time of Leif Erikson, which is one of the earliest accounts that we have, which yeah. is where this number probably comes from. Yep. We've always heard, you know, around, uh, what was it, 1,000 or 1,100 or something like that, mm-hmm. or no? Uh, 14, yeah, yeah, been, that's about right. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right, about right. Yeah, right yeah, yeah. yeah about so. 500 years before Columbus, give or take, right. you know? Yeah. Yeah, and that's where the whole Leif Erikson legend comes in, right? It does, and, yeah. And, I mean, you got to imagine if he was there, I mean, what what, what written down legends don't exist before yeah. that? Yeah, you know, what do we not know about? hundreds of years before that were people coming? And it's just more evidence for the fact that, like, legends are not to be dismissed as myth completely. Yeah. Like, there, there can be truth in them, and not all of them and not everything you have to sort of pick through and pick it out but like there's a lot of people that Mm -hmm. that look at native american myths and legends for example and think well there's no truth there at all but like here's these ones from the vikings and you know we're finding actual scientific evidence to back up what they said and so you always have to like take that with take that into consideration the legends of the people that live in an area right you know don't dismiss the legends that's all There's a lot you can infer from this, too. We'll talk about how they identified these tree species in a little bit, but there's a lot you can infer of this because it means that the Vikings at that time and all the time that they were doing this had the means, knowledge, and appropriate vessels to cross what's called the Davis Strait, the biggest crossing there between Greenland and North America. Mm at that time. Yeah. For hundreds of years. Yeah. Which yeah. it's a big crossing, right? Like yeah. you have to know a lot about sailing <laughs> to make that yeah. work. Well, the simple fact that we don't have like permanent Viking settlements and a Viking ancestry sitting right there, unless you go to North Dakota, but that was Vikings way later on. <laughs> uh, that was, that's when they were Norwegians. Right. But anyway, um, the evidence just shows you that the ships were robust enough that they came and went yeah. and they navigated well. They mm-hmm. knew where to go. They didn't get lost. Otherwise, they wouldn't keep sending ships. Yeah. Right? And it was a just like something something that they did you know, yeah. for resources. I mean, if they needed trees and they knew they could get them there yeah. and they figured out how to navigate the waters to make that right. happen, it was an easy place to go and get what yeah. they needed. So they clearly created a a 
a system of importing, essentially, yeah. for lack of a better word, to import the trees from North America to Greenland. It's really cool. Now, where the historical narrative sort of drops off in this article is this all seems to have lasted until about the 14th century, at least. Oh, and really? After that, we don't really have much more evidence of it. Oh. So who knows why? Yeah. I'm sure there's somewhere there's sort of resource or maybe even some old legends or something that could come in and fill in those gaps. But this article didn't cover that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. And just because we haven't found the evidence doesn't mean sure. that it doesn't exist. It just means yeah. that we haven't found it yet. So, yeah. Right. It so, could it could be that the, the Vikings just weren't in the Greenland area anymore. Yeah. But if we were to look elsewhere, we might find this evidence somewhere else in northern Europe, just right. not Greenland. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about the trees. Yeah. So the trees they were harvesting included hemlock and what's called a jack pine. And these tree species are not native to either Greenland or Europe, these two in particular. Okay. Uh, finding these in Greenland, they dated to about 1000 CE, is the nail in the coffin of the Viking travel hypothesis, of course, right? Yeah. So, um, and, and they dated to, I guess, as old as 1000 CE in this right. particular case. Right, right. Um, the jack pine likely came from New England and Nova Scotia. The hemlock could have been further in around Quebec, Ontario, and other locations in Canada. I don't know if that's only because they're not there now, closer to the closer to the Atlantic, or mm -hmm. or, or they're the just not coastal species. They just might be more of the Possible. whatever the inland yeah. um, geography is there. They're just more inland, but. It does make me wonder, like, were they going up the rivers? Yeah. You know, and just going as far in as they could on a sure. river, and they took whatever trees they got to from, from the river, probably, right? I mean, it doesn't say they were all the way down as far as New York, but I know you can take a boat from the Hudson all the way to the Great Lakes. You can. So. That would be a very long way to travel. Yeah. But, you know. So. Yeah, I guess all I'm thinking is, like, they. it's not like they, like, dropped their boats off at, mm -hmm. in the ocean somewhere. Right. Like, went in, just, like, started marching until they found the perfect tree to take home. It wasn't Christmas tree shopping, you know? Right, right. <laughs> it was definitely probably op opportunistic, whatever they could get to easily. Mm-hmm. Now, they analyzed, the researchers did, um, wood from many features that they've excavated over the years mm -hmm. in Greenland. And they examined the cellular structure of the wood. And through the cellular structure, they were able to identify the species, which is totally amazing to me because the preservation on this stuff must have been pretty good. Because when wood dries out, it really, like it really changes shape, yeah. you know, and, and in order to study the cellular structure, I have to imagine, I don't know this for sure, but it had to have been like almost waterlogged or, or, or wet in some way or Could it be like carbonized? That. Could it be I don't know. from, I don't know. Could it be burned? Yeah, maybe. So, well, I don't, I don't think burned would show us that. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. So through these methods, they determined that about a quarter of the timber used on Greenland, a quarter, was either imported or driftwood. Wow. And I don't think they could just, they couldn't just throw out driftwood because who knows how the wood got there. Yeah, right. <laughs> but there's so much that it can't all be driftwood. Yeah. So my only big question here is like, how sound is the science yeah. of the cellular structure of wood and like identifying it? Like I think how, that's pretty sound. how good yeah. Okay. I've heard of other things where not just trees, but like plants and things can be identified through their, their cellular, cellular structure. Stru okay. Yeah. yeah. I I didn't really know, you know, before hearing that one of the first times I ever heard it, that it was kind of like a fingerprint, you know, oh, like okay. you can really identify things yeah, like yeah. that. So okay. not That's just, cool. not just DNA, but like the actual shape of the cells. Mm -hmm. So anyway, well, that is super cool. Yeah. And like, obviously we knew that Vikings were here a long time ago because of Leif Erikson yeah. and that whole account. But there's always deniers, right? There's always people that say it wasn't as important or as big and, mm -hmm. you know, blah, blah, blah. So, like, it's just nice to have actual proof of that. And yeah. also, like, again, let's move away from Columbus. Like, let's just <laughs> le let that go. That guy sucked. <laughs> and the Vikings, sounds like the Vikings did what 
it would have been nice if the other explorers would have done, you know, stop by, take some resources, take what you need, <laughs> probably not more than yeah. what they needed. They, they took what they could carry and they didn't, you know, kill the entire population of the continent. Right. So seems like a win-win for everybody. There's plenty of resources here to go around. So yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It just seems like a much more peaceful way to go about discovering the Americas. So, right. yeah. All right. Well, you guys don't know this, but we've been interrupt- interrupted by tiny humans <laughs> twice now. I know. So it's time to go. The, the, nieces, the nieces are ready to play, so we yeah. got to go play. All right. Well, we're going to do that in the meantime. Uh, hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you're still awake, try some of our other shows and you can uh, lull yourself <laughs> to sleep through those. I'm just fascinated that people are listening to this. You to really sleep. are. I, I feel like you're a little bit hurt. Yeah. Are you a little hurt I don't inside? Know. I mean, as long as they're listening, <laughs> I guess. They rewind and go back to it. Come on. I'm a lot sure of people do, do it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. See you guys next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Archaeology Show. Feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.archpodnet.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ArcPodNet. Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.